0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. My name is Courtney. And Kono This is episode 51, and we're reviewing part 3, Stardust Crusaders, Strength. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. We have arrived... To what is possibly one of the most uncomfortable and weirdest episode. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not weirdest. I think that's that's pushing it. There's far more weird things out there in JoJo. But I think one of the most uncomfortable episodes that we have in this show.
1: I think I would describe it as one of the most unsettling episodes. Unsettling. <laughs> right. <laughs> it it does it it makes me uncomfortable watching it, even after this second watch through, but. I think overall just how uneasy it it, it presents itself and how it just makes the audience feel watching it. Uh, it has a, I want to say it has like almost like a horror film vibe out of it rather than like there's still like the wacky moments, but it's just there's something more creepy about it.
0: Yeah, it does have some weird, creepy energy, and not just with the whole monkey situation, but just in general, it does have very creepy, eerie vibes. And I'm sure we're we're over-exaggerating a little bit. I mean, really what we're referring to is the fact that the monkey has some pedophile tendencies when it comes to Anne, and yes, that is fucking weird, but the episode overall isn't, like, a fucking awkward episode. I think it's a pretty standard, goofy JoJo episode that just... Has this extra element that kind of throws things off a bit
1: of s- creepiness. Screepiness. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, like that PewDiePie video where he said the creepiest thing oh, yeah. on the internet. <laughs>
0: But before we get into the episode, I want to thank everyone who's been leaving us ratings on Spotify. As of right now, we're at 33 ratings. We're still trying to reach our goal of 50 ratings on Spotify for Strictly JoJo. So if you're listening to us and you haven't yet left a rating, head over to the iOS or Android app for Spotify, find our Strictly JoJo page. You'll see a little star there. Tap that, leave us a rating, and that will help us get closer to 50. We really appreciate any of the support.
1: And in JoJo news for this week, this is actually something you sent me earlier this week, which is that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean, is doing a collaboration with the clothing, bra- uh, clothing brand Onof- Onofi Free. This is Bandai's new fashion brand, uh, which will be selling various items of clothing and bags. And more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it looks like um, their main lineup is loungewear that features Jolene's butterfly. Are these the poisonous frogs? Yeah. I don't know why. Why
1: are they tied to what? Oh, because he was the one who set the weather for the frogs to fall I the I would have sky. preferred
0: they did clouds yeah. or something for weather report, but that's fine. And then I think for Poochie they have um, let's Prime see. Numbers. Yeah, Prime Numbers and then White Snake's mask thing, which this one's pretty cool. I, I'd buy that. Honestly, I'd buy all of it if I lived in Japan. <laughs> the bags, I think, are probably the highlight here because they offer really subtle designs that are tied to um stone ocean like you'd really have to pay attention to tell what these are and honestly kind of looking at them right now like the stone free one i'm like is it just stone free's face yeah it's stone Stone free's face among the pattern here and i would not notice that at first glance and then the foo fighters one oh it's like the little amiibo plankton thing amoeba that, yeah, amiibo. Oh, not amiibos. <laughs> the <laughs> Nintendo thing. <laughs> but yeah, these look really cool. And then these scarves have just little emblems here, um, similar images. Uh, it has Kiss's logo, it has Jolene's butterfly. And oh, the Jolene one has a little star up by the, the upper left part of the neck.
1: Oh, does it? That's
0: so cute. Very yeah. clever. I love these little details. I think they're great. Okay, just kidding. The highlight of this line is the fucking Charlotte (laughs) makeup bag. Look at that thing. That's so fucking cute.
1: That's the one thing in this lineup that is just way out there. Yeah, it doesn't
0: match anything else, (laughs) but it's great. Yeah, you have
1: the uh, the Charlotte on the front of the bag, uh, Charlotte being the alligator puppet that's used by one of the prison guards, and then uh, a poofy purple bow
0: a poofy purple bow (laughs) is this for
1: like a makeup i think
0: it's some sort of like makeup bag of some sort or some multi-purpose pouch but these are really cute i like all of these i think it's a very uh elegant and subtle type of jojo line because usually jojo anything is pretty loud and in your face and here they they took more of like a like a nice little minimalist approach
1: I would say JoJo merchandise stateside can be pretty loud sometimes. It's just like when they have collaborations with these other brands, they they make it more subtle. That's true. Is, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I appreciate some of the nice that stuff
0: that we can't get our hands on usually ends up being like the nicer things that you would wear to any occasion.
1: Yeah, like one that I would have loved to get, and I think uh, the Trash Taste crew each got a piece of or they each got one is the the jojo suit sets
0: oh yeah those are nice where they those have like really the nice. yeah the
1: lining is like a very subtle jojo pattern like i would just love to own a jojo suit and just rock it at random formal events and people won't know. Wear plus. it
0: on a daily basis when you too, yeah. when you go to bed <laughs> at night and when you go to the bathroom and when you um, work out, you just always wear the dojo suit and never take it off.
1: Yeah, when I want to feel fashionable and-, <laughs> and uh,
0: Like a stand user? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I guess we'll share a link to the article about this clothing collaboration. Uh, from jojo jojonews.com i'm sure people in japan will be the, the lucky ones to get a piece of this line although i know there are like courier services that help you purchase products in japan and then you get them shipped stateside although i'm sure those don't or those cost like a pretty penny
0: yeah, most likely. And and like you said, we'll drop the link in the Discord. So if you're not a member of the Discord, um, we recommend joining. The link to join is in the description.
1: All right, back to the creepiness. Part three, episode seven, Strength. Is there anything else you want to say about this before we get started? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this this episode, it just makes me feel very uncomfortable.
0: I, I think it's still an interesting watch and- Similar to the discussion we had for the previous episode with this one, you do see um, other moments of Jotaro and Anne's unique relationship. And I call it unique because he treats her so kind in this episode like he did in the previous one. Um, And that's, that's rare for Jotaro. I mean, some of the things that he does here are pretty chivalrous and pretty obviously chivalrous. And he doesn't do that shit ever with like anybody else.
1: I think it's because Anne kind of plays hard to get in this episode, especially when she jumps into Joseph's arms when she boards the ship and maybe Jotaro just not used to someone rejecting him like that.
0: Well, that's what I was saying in the last episode and what I've said a couple of times with Anne is that Jotaro responds to strength not not strength the stand user here, but strength in general. When a when a character is strong and very independent, he he tends to gravitate toward that stuff. Um, basically someone who's similar to, to him. And because Anne is very independent, she is very strong or strong natured, I think he respects that and that's why he treats her nicely. Again, similar to those flight attendants from the episode where they went up against the fucking beetle. What was it Tower called? Of Grey. Tower of Gray. Tower of Gray. I never remember this that. Last time. <laughs> I never remember. I never remember any names or titles. But yes, when they went up against Tower of Gray, the um, he was rude to the flight attendants at first, but when he realized that they were professionals and didn't scream when they saw something horrible on the airplane, he then showed them respect. Now, is that the right way to treat people? I mean, no, it's Chotro though like it is what it is.
1: <laughs> the shoot first, ask questions later kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. And- Again, I don't really have much to say until we get into our discussion, but one thing I will say is that this episode features, what, an inanimate object as a stand that's controlled by a fucking monkey, like just out of context. That's truly a truly bizarre concept. (laughs) But all right, time to put a stop to all this monkey business as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for part three, episode seven, Strength. And I just realized you're probably kind of excited about discussing this episode.
0: Why, what?
1: Because it's about a monkey.
0: Oh, (laughs) yes, maybe not this particular monkey, but a monkey in general, (laughs) yes.
1: (laughs) The boys and their bambino-sized buddy board a boat out in the blurry bay, but there's some funny business or, should I say, monkey business, going on as they realize the freighter's only crew member is Lanky Kong's ugly, horny, cigarette orangutan cousin. Stranger things by Netflix start to ensue as Captain Crunch's deserted sailors get sent to Davy Jones's locker by way of Crane Game and Ape Escape, culminating in Kinky Kong radiating big pedo energy by spying on Anne in the shower. Jotaro once again comes to the stowaway's rescue by clapping Kinky Kong's crown, but finds his turns tabled when the Freighty Freighter starts fighting back. The Crusaders soon realize that the ship itself is an enemy stand controlled by Kinky Kong, its kooky captain. Before the perverted primate can celebrate, however, Jotaro butts in with a butt-tin and star fingers it right into Kinky Kong's skull so that he can monkey around no more. The Freighty Freighter starts devolving into its puny rowboat form, allowing the motley crusaders to once again escape to their lifeboats and find their own goddamn way to Singapore. Meanwhile, Dio's two right-handed woman, Yaba Humbug, reassures her master that there are still six more of his dastardly disciples to foil the boy's plans, one of which is her Polnareff murdering son, and another of which is an unwelcome guest already checked into the crusaders' hotel room. And now onto our next segment of the show is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. And I wanted to mention something that I heinously omitted from last episode about Dark Blue Moon, which is with the stand Dark Blue Moon, there's a music reference in the name because it's referring to the song Blue Moon, which is a... Ballad by Richard Rodgers and Lorenz Hart from 1934, well known for its like 50s progression or the duop progression. You know the song like, "Blue Moon." You no, saw me standing alone. I
0: don't think I do. Really? Yeah,
1: it's a it's a duop classic. Which? <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> know much
0: duop, <doo-wop>, so <laughs> okay,
1: I I was familiar with it growing up, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I forgot to in our last episode. But moving on to the references in this episode, starting off with Enyaba, which is the localized name, uh, she is a reference to Enya, an Irish singer, songwriter, and musician who is known for pioneering modern Celtic and New Age music. I think a lot of people know her for her single only time.
0: Single? <laughs> I don't know. why I'm slurring my words today, everybody. It's one of those days. Yeah.
1: <laughs> But the, mm-hmm. yeah, only time, which was like all the rage in the early 2000s.
0: It's like at meme status,
1: yeah, I think uh, there are memes that they use the song over of uh, like like stupid things that are going on to make <laughs> them seem tragic. Yeah <laughs> um, a fun fact, Anya's or Anyaba, as she's known in the local version, her English voice actress in the anime is Barbara Goodson who played a very similar role in the original Power Rangers as Rita Repulsa. Wait, in
0: the dub? Yeah, in the oh, dub. okay. Not in the sub. I was like, whoa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Rita Repulsa, um, as she was known here stateside.
0: I could hear it. I've never heard her and uh, Yaba dubbed, but I could definitely hear Rita Repulsa's voice placed over in Yaba.
1: Yeah. Um, and then the... Well, wait,
0: really quick. With Anyaba's name, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but um, just to bring it up again. With uh, with her name, it's... Yeah, it's Anya's, the, the namesake or her, the core part of her name. And I believe, I believe, if I'm incorrect, someone let me know, but I believe that the ba at the end is actually supposed to be like Obachan or like mm-hmm. an old lady. And so they kind of shorten her name or... Um, yeah, shortened it to Enya Ba, which essentially means Enya, the old lady. So technically, her name is Enya. You hear her as Enya Ba in the sub because they're saying old lady Enya, and then they just carried it over. That's that's a localization I can I can deal with because it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Okay. I can I can see. Yeah, I remember you were talking about that before. Old hag. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, the second reference, uh, another music reference, is with. The name of the orangutan, which I don't think they mention by name in it this episode. It has a episode. name? Yes. What? Its name is Forever. What? And this is in reference to Wu-Tang Forever, oh the second my album God. of American hip-hop group Wu-Tang Clan that was certified four times platinum and is, and is currently the group's highest selling album to date.
0: Because it's an orangutan? Yes, Wintang? so that, Oh my God. Yeah, I
1: have a tidbit, like a piece of trivia about uh, the name. So Forever wasn't given a proper name until several years after the manga's publication, where I think it was used in the PlayStation 1 port of the 90s arcade game for Jojo, Heritage for the Future. And I think it was officially documented in the art book Jojo a Gogo. Uh, it's, I think the name is a pun- on the Japanese spelling for orangutan uh, because it uses the Japanese spelling for Wu-Tang. So Wu-Tang. So I think that's where they got like the Wu-Tang Forever. They just took out the Wu-Tang and then put the forever in.
0: Oh, okay. Wow, yeah, I had no fucking idea that that monkey had a name, but there you go.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and then I guess to tie in a a film reference, uh, we see throughout the episode Forever radiating, like, big pedo energy. And so the orangutan's lustful gaze towards Anne as she's showering, uh, people consider that a callback to a similar scene in a 1986 horror film called Link, where an intelligent orangutan stalks the female protagonist as she gets undressed for a bath.
0: Oh, okay. I was wondering. I could see that. I mean, Rocky loves adding those kinds of references, and I was wondering like what brought about the idea of having an orangutan like lusting after and so i i guess it makes sense
1: yeah an 80s horror film which i'm looking at the movie poster for link right now and it just it looks as creepy as the orangutan from this episode and lastly uh, we have a tarot reference with The name of the ship Strength, which, as the narrator mentions in this episode, is the eighth tarot card in the tarot deck. Uh, Strength represents challenge, powerful will, and hidden instinct. Also, fearlessness and mastering desire, like the orangutan's desire to simp over Anne for whatever reason. And the card features the image of a woman and a lion, Obviously, that has nothing to do with this monkey, but I think it's kind of fitting for a stand that is tied to the Crusader's journey to Singapore because we learn later in the episode, Singapore has a connection with um, the white lions that are, what is it, like indigenous? What's the word? I think that's right. Like indigenous to that region. Native to the area. Native, yeah, native to that area. Um, I never talked about like with tarot cards, you have cards that are in like their upright position and they mean one thing. And I think there's another one where it's in their, they're in the reverse position, which is kind of like the counter to that, um, or like gives it like a negative connotation. So with the reversed card position for strength, it can mean inner strength or self doubt, which I think this part of it, becomes forever's undoing at Jotaro's hands in the climax especially with the button scene uh, so inner strength self-doubt low energy and raw emotion uh, there's another kind of tie-in with like films here but in terms of history strength's concept was inspired by the real life ship Mary Celeste which was famously found adrift and mysteriously abandoned in the atlantic ocean i think this was in the late 1800s but in reference to like 1980s horror films strength represents the possessed killer freighter from the 1980 horror movie death ship and in the stardust crusaders ova there are a lot of interior shots of like strengths rooms and machinery. machinery And those shots are similar to one seen in the movie. In terms of David Productions' adaptation, uh, I can send this image in the Discord. The movie poster for Death Ship kind of resembles the opening shot of the Crusaders on their lifeboat, lifeboat overlooking, not overlooking, but towering or being towered over by the ship.
0: Yeah, I can see the resemblance here. This is cool to know because I always, again, I wondered where Araki got the inspiration for this particular episode, and I think it makes sense from like a, a, a zoology perspective with mm-hmm. um, with strength being a an orangutan. Because I wondered why did he choose this particular tarot card or this particular stand to be um, be with a stand user that's not even a human. I think it makes sense because if we're saying in this episode that this stand user can summon such immense power that they can create an entire freighter and have the stand be visible by non-stand users, I think saying that a human being had enough strength to do that would seem a little far-fetched.
1: Mm-hmm. But saying
0: that an orangutan or like a large monkey has that strength makes far more sense because... That orangutan could rip a human in half, no problem. Like, the strength behind a monkey that, that size is, like, probably a 100 times what a human has.
1: Makes me wonder, like, what an orangutan's IQ is in comparison to a human. I'm looking it up right now. Um, orangutans have proven themselves highly intelligent they're the only non-human primates capable of talking about the past.
0: What the fuck? <laughs> okay, what?
1: <laughs> so I guess, yeah, they they are intelligent uh, both mentally and physically. So it makes sense that they would be, like you said, be chosen for one of the, I guess you could say the most powerful stands in JoJo.
0: And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And I don't have any. Sorry, guys. I couldn't find nope. any in the two times that we watched it preparing for this this recording. So if I missed any from this episode, please reach out. Let me know so we can pay respects to all fucking Jojo memes. But now on to the episode itself. Um, I was wrong in our previous episode. Anne and Paul Noreff actually called Jotaro Jojo in this episode a few times. So there is a bit more use of the nickname Jojo before we stop hearing it completely. So I know at some point, we won't hear it anymore, and that'll pretty much be it for the rest of um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. We'll have to pay close attention to when they really do stop saying it. So I'm going to make a note here to myself. Did they say JoJo in this episode? And uh, we'll we'll try to determine which one really is the official end to the JoJo nickname in common, common use.
1: Yeah, it'll come up eventually. <laughs> eventually. Um, but I know for sure that they stopped using jojo at some point in part three
0: yeah yeah and this episode starts off with a glimpse into what dio is up to and i find this particular scene and really the relationship between anyaba and dio to be interesting because i think i mentioned this before here we have dio consulting somebody or looking to somebody else for guidance and not only that but speaking to someone who is actually pretty forceful with him and Yaba doesn't have any hesitation telling Dio how it is or telling him essentially that he's wrong like you shouldn't fear anything you are the strongest being and yeah he she's you know kind of pumping up his ego but I'm surprised that Dio would even let somebody speak to him in that matter Um, but yeah I mean he's typically a very independent type of villain and here he's looking to Anyaba for some sort of guidance in how he eliminates the Joestar bloodline.
1: I think it's also because Anyaba mentions that, or Adio mentions that Anyaba was the one who told her first about his stand ability.
0: Anyaba, I think if we move to part four, I think it's revealed that Anyaba was the one that essentially got Dio his stand power through the stand mm. arrow so he may owe a lot to her but also it's Dio like when does he owe anybody anything yeah. in his mind anyway <laughs>
1: maybe he kind of treats her kind of like the like a mirror mirror on the wall character yeah which is, it makes sense because he's looking into a mirror in this very first scene one other thing I noticed with Anyava is that they shroud her left hand in a silhouette much like they've been shrouding Dio's face because like they reveal at the end of this episode that she is the mother of the person that murdered Polnareff's sister.
0: Was it Jay Guile? I can't remember. Yeah,
1: it was Jay Guile. So that was something I noted is that yeah, there's just a shadow of, like, you can see her right hand very clearly. It's just that her left hand's resting under it, but it's completely blacked out.
0: I feel like Dio starts to become very philosophical. Um, with this episode and we kind of get a taste of that as well in part six like he he really starts looking at the deeper meaning of things and theorizing and whatnot and he does speak about his fears and that the one thing he fears is the joestar bloodline they call the Joe Stars trash and dio clarifies that it's not the joestars themselves that he fears it's the fact that he can't underestimate their bloodline and he's absolutely right i mean he's spot on there
1: yeah this is kind of like a continuation of a previous conversation he had with Anyaba about fear as joy. I think this was in episode 4 and here Deal wants to like assert his dominance by being at the top of the food chain of fear by manipulating fear as joy with his his followers and with whoever he can control. But like you said, it's the Joe Stars that are standing in his way of being fear incarnate.
0: And then we transition to the Joe Stars and gang as they approach the giant freighter. And Jotaro is perceptive as always, wondering why no one's shown themselves, even though the ramp is down. But then you have Polnareff, who's on the other side of things, being short sighted and is like, bro, they're probably just somewhere on the ship. Even if it's full of stand users, I'm getting on the ship. And they're like, all right, I guess we'll get on the ship.
1: Which makes me think. In a horror movie scenario, Polnareff would probably be the first guy to get off. Probably, <laughs> just struts, struts right onto the stairs of the ship and says, "All aboard."
0: He would be the one character that does all the things you should not do, like you know, go alone or not take a weapon with you or, or give out
1: a piece of gum or
0: yeah, or investigate a, a noise where you know they're they're gonna die. Um, and then we do see Del offer to help Anne out of the boat. Again, he's acting super nice, like this is a very rare moment, soak it in, because he's actually being kind to somebody, he's being chivalrous, he is offering to help somebody without anyone telling him to do so, because again, he respects how strong she is as a person. However, she jumps into Joseph's arms instead and sticks out her tongue at Jotaro and he gives us a yada yada. I
1: wonder why she jumped into Joseph's arms specifically.
0: I think maybe there's that, that connection with Joseph because in the previous episode he was trying to console her and said, hey, I'm a dad. I have a, a daughter. Oh, right, right. Um, I think he was trying to make that connection with her. Jotaro isn't trying to connect with Anne. He's just protecting her versus Joseph, who's trying to console her, reassure her, um, as we see later in this episode, you know, help her to understand that they're there to protect her and not to harm her. And I kind of wish, looking at Anne and Jotaro's relationship throughout part three when she's reintroduced, I kind of wish Araki didn't make Anne have a crush on Jotaro when she comes back um, to join the Bros for a little bit. That, to me, kind of sours this unique relationship that Jotaro and Anne had, where, again, she's like one of the only people we'll ever see Jotaro be kind to. He flips the script when she starts crushing on him because he no longer respects her and therefore no longer acts kind to her in the same way. But it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And then there it is, everyone, the fucking pedo orangutan. They they see the monkey. Um It sighs and moans and uh, makes other weird noises when it looks at Anne. And I'm just like, Ro, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> um But I guess... Uh, on a positive note, we do get to see lots of those funny sailor hats.
1: Yeah, which are, <laughs> well, they, they look looks like fez hats instead of actual sailor hats. They just look you so funny to, to me. me. Yeah,
0: yeah. like I, I just, I love the way that they look on those sailors because they're like one size too small for their heads. I mean, I'm sure that's the way they're intended to be worn, but it looks like they're one size too small where they just kind of sit on top of their heads instead of like on their heads fully it's just really funny looking. I don't know.
1: And yeah, they don't look like the typical sailor hats that have a little dome at the top or unless it's just the dome is too small and then so the, the brim just covers it.
0: They're they're all too beefy.
1: Yeah. My uh, my concern is like how this orangutan is drawn. Like did Iraqi not know how to draw orangutans? Because I, I was looking at pictures of orangutans in real life and they look... Far different from how this one does.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Iggy was pretty spot on. We have ugly Iggy in the beginning, but then when Iggy gets redrawn, (laughs) he looks nicer. He's a little easier on the eyes to look at, but he still looks pretty accurate to a Boston Terrier. Is Mm -hmm. that what he is?
1: Yeah. But this one, it kind of looks like if a human almost morphed into an orangutan. But yeah, it just makes me think if Araki was just as shitty... And drawing primates as he w- is with dogs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then up on the deck, uh, Anne witnesses a sailor get impaled in the face by a hook, uh, screams, I don't blame her. And then again, another kind act by Jotaro, he goes right up to her and covers her eyes, saying this is a welcome that is too much for a young girl. And we, we see him protecting her of his own volition. And then as the JoBros investigate what the fuck is going on because they didn't see a stand user move any of the equipment when it killed that sailor, Hierophant Green squeezes into the cracks and looks around the ship to try and see if there's any signs of life besides theirs. And I'm like, does he do this again? I know we constantly ask these questions with these unique abilities in part three. I'm going to keep an eye out and see like, does he squeeze around and survey an area again in the same
1: way? I mean, I know it has, like, long-distance abilities. The one I can remember most prevalently is the trap he sets up for Deal in their climactic battle at the end of the series, but nothing about, like, slipping through cracks and seeing, like, further into certain areas.
0: We've talked before about these unique abilities that... I feel like are really fucking useful but for some reason Araki doesn't have his characters take advantage of them like with Jonathan using Hamon to control what's his face Wang Chung uh cause mm-hmm. he was a vampire like you can control other creatures using Hamon why have you not been doing this more why Here, Joseph
1: hasn't been doing that
0: Yeah and, and here it's like with Hierophant Green, I mean, how useful would it be to discreetly check an area or scout ahead for enemies anywhere you go, right? Just have Hierophant Green like just very quietly sneak ahead and search like a building or whatever for enemies, pinpoint their locations like you would in a video game, and then you avoid all unnecessary fighting.
1: I mean, because this group never thinks ahead. Even though like <laughs> at the end of this episode, Joseph, like he starts to realize that they're going to encounter enemy stands and enemy stand users for the rest of this journey.
0: True, and stand users attract other stand users, so even if yeah. they try to avoid them, I'm sure they'll still run into them.
1: Yeah, so they, <laughs> I guess they just have to be oblivious for the sake of the plot. But yeah, they there's so much potential they they could do with these stands, and they just don't.
0: And then kind of stops and thinks a little bit about the Joe Bros, wondering if these guys are jinxes. Um, and that bad shit keeps happening and that she should avoid them. But then Joseph, in his fatherly nature, approaches her and reassures her that they are on her side. Again, he raised a daughter, and I think he can sense Anne's unease, like this, this young girl's unease. So she goes off with the sailors in the funny hats. And, um, yeah, we see her interact with the orangutan for a little bit I think before he actually she actually joins up with the sailors um the orangutan offers her an apple that's already been cut but Anne realizes that it hasn't oxidized yet and therefore it hasn't browned meaning it's just recently cut and then she's like how the fuck did that happen and then the monkey fucking lights a cigarette and she's like, How the fuck did you do that? And then it grabs a Playboy magazine. And then she's like, Okay, red flags here. Uh, this monkey is looking at nudes in front of me, a eleven to twelve year old girl.
1: This just makes me wonder where the fuck did Dio find this or Or I guess Enyaba, and Yaba. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know how like was it in a zoo or like a like a circus show? Well
0: it's like how did they get Iggy at Speedwagon Foundation?
1: Yeah. Or Uh, pet shop? How do
0: they get pet shop?
1: Uh, How do they get any of these people? Really?
0: (laughs) What are their connections? How are they networking? (laughs)
1: Specifically with these animals? Like, how are are you going to like know know some animal in the world who just has who can smoke and read a pinup magazine and say, "Oh, I know a great stand user. Let me send them."
0: (laughs) I have no idea. I was also wondering why the monkey kept itself in the cage throughout this first part of the episode. All right. And I figured, because again, it obviously can let itself out at any time, but I think it was probably to get everyone to let their guard down. Mm. But also, wouldn't it just be weird in general that there's a random orangutan on the ship? Wouldn't it be better if this orangutan just hid somewhere and then just popped out and killed everybody?
1: That would be too easy. Because it can phase (laughs)
0: through fucking walls. It just opens up the walls for itself and just phases right through them.
1: Yeah, I think it's also, it probably, like you said, wanted to get everyone's guard down by making it think that it's just this innocent animal that's locked up in a cage because strength, again, going back to the tarot card thing, uh, hidden instinct or powerful will. So I, I think it's the orangutan trying to show its fortitude by kind of catching everyone with their...
0: With their guard down? Yeah. And that's a good point. And, and on top of that, as we mentioned just a moment ago, Hierophant Green would probably have seen or realized the monkey was there because it was trying to look for any signs of life. But because they already knew that the monkey was on the ship, Kakioin was probably ignoring the orangutan, trying to find other people on the ship. So I guess it does make sense. The The monkey has some level of intelligence. So then Anne decides to take a shower because she's stinky from all the salt water. And here comes Pedo Monkey fucking approaching her while she's naked in the shower like, bruh, why? Um, I honestly would be flipping my shit if I were her. That monkey, again, could snap her in half with its strength. Again, no pun intended there. But mm-hmm. um, Jotaro sees the cage is open, immediately goes to find Anne, and then clobbers the shit out of the monkey with the cage lock. And here we have Anne saying Jojo. So there's where well, we get another instance of Jojo. I think the f one was at the end of the episode. He says Jojo there.
1: And then the weird thing happens with the fan that gets just lodged into jo- Toto's shoulder. And he just looks at it and he's like, oh, how did this happen? I
0: know. He's completely <laughs> unfazed. And then when the, like, the really? fan like the the blade bends and smacks him bitch so hard, slaps him. yeah, it yeah. <laughs> bitch slaps him so hard that he's literally flying horizontally across like the ground through the hallway for what is an eternity, really, if you think about it. And again, he acts totally unfazed. He's just like, oh, I'm flying sideways into a wall. It's just so funny watching Jotaro take damage because it's not like he's even taking damage. Like he is, but he isn't. The way he's reacting,
1: right? Because this is. I'm assuming, like, uh, where did this fan come from, the ceiling? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, that's that's a huge instrument to just get l- lodged into in your, your body. Shoulder. Like, that would be like writhing pain, but I guess Jotaro has a large pain tolerance.
0: <laughs> and as he's fighting this monkey, the whole time you have Anne standing there with her towel only draped across the front of her body with her ass fully exposed. And I just I question why this is just like in part two when Lisa Lisa did the same thing in the bathroom um, when she was taking a bath and then she got attacked by ACDC and then Caesar and Joseph show up and Susie Q is there. I'm like, you have a whole entourage of people here and your ass is exposed. Just take the damn towel and wrap up your ass. Like why? Why Lisa Lisa and why and are you running around in public with your ass exposed when you can just turn the towel sideways or horizontally and wrap it around your body.
1: I forgot about Lisa. Lisa, like being in that same situation. It, it's kind of like poetry. It, it rhymes like across parts, I guess.
0: The ass rhymes what? Or like just
1: <laughs> having a character where it's like their ass is just exposed for whatever reason. I mean,
0: it looks besides the nudity part, like it looks elegant the way they're like kind of clutching there. It almost looks like an old school, like horror film of sorts so like i think for some mm. reason i think like i don't know something like out of like king kong like you do, the way they're like standing and like covering themselves and the 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 towel is draped across their front like there is sort of like this elegance to that but from a practical standpoint cover your ass like i would think i'm gonna cover my ass okay like that's there's a lot going on already the last thing i want is my ass running around everywhere
1: yeah it's not that hard to wrap a towel around your torso <laughs> but yeah I was, I was just thinking more of how like in JoJo parts, there's always the trope of like an enemy turned into a friend, and like in this case, going from part two to part three, it's just a character who With their ass bears exposed. their ass cheeks.
0: <laughs> but to Jotaro's credit, he obviously is unfazed by the fact that Anna is just in a towel. He's more focused on getting like protecting her and you know, getting rid of this crazy ass monkey and he tells Anne to stay close to him because it's dangerous and he puts his arm around her to make sure that she's protected. Um, And then this monkey just continues to, I guess, fight by using props or items in the ship itself. And um, I think in the middle of the fight, that's when we get the scene with the rest of the Joe Bros getting sucked in like quicksand into the ship itself and they talk about why they're able to see this huge-ass freighter, or not not them, but the non-stand user is able to see this huge-ass freighter even though it's the stand itself, and how the monkey is able to produce such a large stand in the first place. Again, it's because of its strength. That's why it's named Strength.
1: So it's a very powerful stand then
0: yeah the way i think it was avdal explains it is there's such an enormous amount of power being summoned by the stand user that it's able to create such an enormous stand to the point where w- with all of that power emanating from it it's it's at that level where a non-stand user can see it
1: hmm because it just makes me think we've we've heard like star platinum is Powerful. The world is powerful. But I
0: think this is like power, like like raw, just concentrated power on another Mm, level. Okay. So this the ship itself can't like hand to hand combat necessarily. It seems like the stand user can use different parts of the ship to pin down people or attack people, but it doesn't have like the raw punching type of power, um, or battle power. It's more just like I don't know how to describe it, like just concentrated power in one spot to the point where it can create something that's really big.
1: Okay. And there's also like just the fact that this ship, it's not even its original form. Like it, it was manipulated from, I think, a rowboat to look like a massive freighter. So I think that also just takes a lot of mental capacity and strength. to To be able to do that to conjure conjure.
0: i did note though however when the joe bros are getting sucked in like quicksand they start to bleed from their mouths and i'm like doesn't that mean internal bleeding doesn't that mean internal damage to your organs I'm pretty sure as human beings they would die, but like every time in anime that somebody has blood spurting out of their mouth, they're totally fine right after. Like that signals internal bleeding, internal damage, but that never is what actually happens in anime. So JoJo's just another instance of that.
1: Yeah, and their macho bodies can handle it, so it's no difference.
0: And then the monkey explains, I guess, through you know words on a book that its name is Strength, It then makes monkey noises and the narrator of all people translates for the monkey which i thought was great um and then it's fighting Jotaro. it looks at anne wet and half naked and gets all horny again i'm like why and then Jotaro distracts the monkey by throwing one of his own buttons at the monkey and insulting it um, which i thought was clever because yeah the the button is one of the few items on the ship that isn't part of the stand itself so the monkey is frustrated thinking that it can't control that button.
1: Just because it's wearing a captain's uniform and so it thought it was part of that uniform?
0: I don't think it thought it was part of the uniform. I think it's just Jotro saying, you know, you're 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 being all flashy by showing us that you can control fans and, and cranes and like every facet of the ship, but you can't control my button because it came off of uh, my jacket I see. and therefore you have no say over what happens with that button.
1: Okay, I misread it. I thought he was trying to trick the orangutan into thinking it was a button off of his uniform.
0: I I could be wrong. I thought that was um, kind of what Jotaro was getting at um, because then he uses Starfinger to launch that button into the monkey's head because, again, the monkey can't stop it because it's not part of the ship or his own uniform.
1: I thought that was kind of dumb that you have two episodes that Use the same exact move to take down its, uh, take down the enemy stand user. Holy Star shit, Finger. you're
0: right. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah. Last episode and this episode, it's a one hit KO with Starfinger.
1: I think that's part of why I don't really like this, this two episode seafaring arc is just the climax is kind of underwhelming in how Jotaro defeats the enemy stand users.
0: And I felt like this fight overall was pretty short. Um, I, I just, yeah, it, it happened all pretty quickly. Um, but the monkey does show his stomach is a sign of submission. Then Jotaro says, I am not going to forgive you because you've already broken the rules of being an animal by being a stand user and fucks him up. So at least this time, it wasn't just Starfinger. He does kind of finish the job by a spree of Oro Oro punches. But you're right. like It, is, it does feel like Starfinger was kind of the, the finishing blow here.
1: So this is Jotaro's second kill. Right? Did he
0: kill him, though? the monkey could be in the rowboat that was left
1: Mm, okay because i was gonna say like the ship slowly disintegrates as we see into the the rowboat i don't know if that's just indicative that the monkey's standability disappeared
0: i thought it was because he passed out
1: um okay i'm referring to the jojo wiki it says jotaro refuses to Refuses the ape's proposal, saying that Forever has rejected the rules of the animal world, becoming just as corrupt as a human being, and kills him with a barrage of Star Platinum's punches. Oh,
0: shit. Okay, maybe part three is more brutal than I realized.
1: (laughs) Yeah, with Forever's death, the ship collapses, returning to the original wrecked boat it was.
0: Well, yeah. I, I think maybe if, if that's the case and if...
1: So Jotaro's a murderer.
0: Yeah, if, <laughs> if, if that's really what Araki had intended, then I think we give Jorno a little too much grief about killing a lot of stand users in part five or at least the Bucci gang ki- killing a lot of stand users. I think we, we we owe a little bit of that grief to Jotaro and Joe Bros as well.
1: But I guess these, these two enemy stands that we've seen so far, or even Tower of Grade, he died, right?
0: Mm, I don't know. He just had a lot oh, of blood. Wait. They make it oh, so yeah. ambiguous just, in the anime. Yeah. That's why it's hard. Like in in part five, David Production, at least the way they're portraying it, they're very clear that Bucci Gang has killed people. I mean, when Polpo shoots himself in the face thinking it's a banana, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. he's dead, right? Like they even say he died. Uh, but here it's like it's never clear if anyone has died. Really, up until, I feel like up until part five there's like a lot of very ambiguous endings for for these enemy stand users
1: at least they're done off screen so it's left to our imagination but like i can still justify this orangutan's death because it was really creepy (laughs) and it was radiating that petal energy
0: the, there's a tone shift um, with this episode once the fight with the orangutan has ended. But I do want to kind of echo what you said earlier, that this episode has a very like horror feel to it, but more of that eerie, suspenseful, psychological horror shit that you'd get from the 80s. When I think about the next episode, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when I think about the next episode, that feels more like a slasher film. Right. Because that that puppet Hmm. goes after Polnareff with such intensity and ferocity that it still feels like something out of an 80s movie. Just one where it's, again, like a slasher film, just like stabbing and scratching and trying to tear him apart. So it's cool to watch these two back to back because you go from something that is slower and eerie and more mysterious to something that gets your heart racing and kind of puts you on the edge of your seat.
1: I, I don't even remember what happens in the next episode, but that's interesting to note that it goes from like a horror film homage to a slasher film homage.
0: Then when the Joe Bros are out and their lifeboats, I think they said that they were gonna take the lifeboats that they first arrived to the freighter with. Um, Anne sees the stand and it's twisting and shrink shrinking. And said shrieking, shrinking, and she's shocked by what she's seeing. And it really is kind of cool to think that this is one of the few occasions that a non-stand user is seeing a stand in action. And then Everyone's kind of reflecting on what happened as they're sitting in the lifeboat. Joseph is in the middle of explaining how the, sand was, the stand was super strong and how they were completely overwhelmed and they would have died if it weren't for Jolto. And then out of nowhere, Polnareff's like, want some gum? <laughs> With, which is literally one of, I think, both of our favorite Polnareff moments in all of, Pol- I was going to say in all of part three, but in all of part three and part five
1: again i feel like in a horror film polnareff would be the first one out because he he doesn't contribute much to this episode besides that line about boarding the ship in the beginning and then here with just the random wanting to give out gum to the crusaders
0: it is so funny like this is the reason why i fucking love polnareff because who the fuck does that it was so subtle and random and again, like just one of my favorite Polnareff moments. It's kind of like when they get to, I think they're in Egypt, the Oingo Boingo arc when Jotaro eats the orange slice and just goes, oh. And someone oh. put it on YouTube <laughs> because it's just so random, but like really cute. It's one of those very small moments that you get in JoJo that, you know, if you don't think about it or pay attention, it probably goes over your head. But when you see it, you never forget it. Like the, the orange slice, Polnareff sneezing in Jotaro's face. I was going to
1: mention that.
0: <laughs> Here Polnareff saying "Want some gum?" as everyone's like freaking out about the fact that they almost fucking died. Like it's so random but so great. I love watching this part every single time.
1: Yeah, doesn't he realize they had gotten out of a a life-threatening situation? He's like,
0: "Fuck it, we're fine. You want some gum?" Yeah. <laughs>
1: he's just he just knows that he's in it for the long haul and so he's like expecting to run into more of these kinds of situations. So, yeah, he's just go with the flow now.
0: And then at the end of the episode, Anyaba reveals that she has two right hands like her son, that she's loyal to Dio because she wants to witness his life, and then the Joe Bros arrive to the hotel in Singapore, and Polnareff has no fucking idea what awaits him in his room.
1: I think we forgot to mention the stand stats um, for this episode.
0: Oh, shit, yes, stand stats.
1: Yeah, the halfway point, we just get question marks because we... Don't know who the stand user or the stand is um, halfway through the episode. So they bring it up right before Anya's scene, I believe, uh, with strength. So to go through strength's stats, destructive power is B, speed is D, range is D, durability is A, precision and accuracy is E, and development potential is E. So even though it's a powerful stand... By these stats, it's really shitty. It's just very durable.
0: It's just power, it's just raw power.
1: Yeah. And that brings us to our final thoughts for part 3 episode 7 strength. So, did this episode make you go ape shit?
0: Um, no, but <laughs> <laughs> but as far as my thoughts go, Look, I'm, uh, we're done commenting on the pedo monkey. We've said what we need to say. So kind of putting that to the side, uh, I think that this episode is, it brings a different feel, again, because it is that eerie, suspenseful horror film type of vibe throughout the episode. And the fight is not that great. It's I still think it's more interesting than the dark blue moon fight, but um, nothing to that, that will top the charts among the part three fights. But just everything else going on, I think is really fun to watch i said this a similar thing with the dark blue moon episode and i feel like that extends to this episode with strength um i i feel bad for all the deaths that happen in this episode i feel bad for everything that Anne has to go through um i do enjoy again watching joltaro be a kind person to someone because that is such a rare occasion um but i do feel like to your point that a lot of the potential around the other joe bros was wasted in this episode because they really don't do anything. I think Kakyoin is really the only one that puts in some work here, besides Jotaro, with using Hierophant Green to find out if there's any other life forms on the ship. But other than that, this is purely a Jotaro episode where he gets to shine, and that's fine because he's the protagonist of this part. And I, I, I'm okay with him having moments where or episodes where it's all about him, and no one else really gets their moment. But what about you?
1: Yeah, strength. Feels like a weak episode to me, as with the previous one. With th- these two, I call them the seafaring arc. Um, they're episodes that I'm not very fond of. But with this one, I think it's just because it radiates a different kind of bizarre energy. With its animalistic stand user, its unexpected stand ability, and its horror film horror film vibes, they're all unique parts of this episode. I just think it lacks. A punch to make it feel wholly engrossing and it, it it just doesn't help that the enemy stand user is a, a big creep but I guess it's it's better that it's an animal instead of a human I guess um, and it, as I mentioned before like with a second consecutive enemy stand defeated by Starfinger it it's hard to really say that this episode was was wholly captivating. If it's just recycling a, um, a, a climax that we saw just previously, I think my only real takeaway from this episode was Polnareff's Gum Kamukai, and <laughs> I for, I don't think we mentioned this, but at the end we actually see a quick glimpse of Dio's Stand, which I never realized we had gotten before. It's just a very blurry image of the world until we see it properly. I don't think we see it. We might see it again at some point in part three before his climactic battle with Jotaro, but I was just surprised on the second run through that we see it so early here. Um, So I would say those are my two takeaways from this episode, but I think overall it's not a forgettable episode because there are certain things that you definitely remember from this. It's just an episode I'd rather not think about
0: well, the next one will certainly have lots of energy and activity behind it. And uh, poor Polnareff will be, will be at the center of it all. But hey, anytime we get a Polnareff episode, I'm excited for that.
1: He gets a lot of like episodes where he's at the butt of it doesn't he
0: he he can't go to the bathroom without getting attacked (laughs) he can't go up the stairs without getting attacked like the poor guy just gets like beat left and right with all these weird ass things that happen to him but he perseveres
1: He's just happy go lucky about it and just wants to offer people gum.
0: <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Look forward to a polnareff filled episode in the next one. Subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at the strictly series and on Twitter at strictly series and check out our website thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreoncom TheStrictlySeries. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.
1: To be continued.
0: This is episode 51, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusade. <laughs> starters
1: crochet starters crocheters <laughs>